Hello everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. My name is Matthew S. Fox, I'm one of your hosts. Our normal co-host, Paul Hoppy, can't join us this week, but we do have a special guest. Uh, my friend Robin is going to be joining us this week, uh, and Robin is someone who thinks a lot about the issues we think about on this podcast, and is also a co-creator, and so I know has a really great perspective on an issue we're going to be diving into today, which is, as someone who creates uh, hero stories or superhero stories or fantasy stories, how do you balance wanting to um, talk about issues and ethics and, and these kind of questions with also telling a great story? Um, so Robin, go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, hi there. Um, yeah, I, Matthew just did a great job at <laughs> introducing me, but I co-create a webcomic called Pin Porter Girl Detective. It's an all-ages, hard-boiled detective story with a fantasy twist. Awesome. Um, and I've, yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> um, and I've created a couple of other short comics that are floating around on the internet. And yeah, those are my main projects right now. I have a few others in the works, but not really much I can show aside from having released a few teasers on twitter and such okay well that's so. great well tell us a little bit more about pin porter because i know i i've read through it a lot and i think um it's something we're going to be talking about a good deal today so uh tell our listeners a little bit more about that project mm -hmm. um pin porter is a film noir inspired comic about a 12 year old girl who is a detective uh -huh. i um come up with the story with my friend Ethan and then he does dialogue and I do the art. Um, so it's, it was initially my idea. So he allows me to have a lot of <laughs> veto power over it. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so you're kind of the, um, you're helping to carve out the overall story and story arcs, even if he's, he's, he's coming up with the exact wording of the dialogue. Yeah, exactly. And it sort of, it started out as an idea that, I'd been working on for a couple years and I wanted it to have this very specific sort of noir writing, you know, like you'd get in the Maltese Falcon and those sorts of books or right. movies. And I tried writing it and realized that it would take me forever to uh -huh. do that. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. And um, Ethan is someone who I've known for a very long time and I've read a lot of his writing and I knew that he would be excellent at this. So awesome. I emailed him and asked him if he wanted to work on this with me. And his response was essentially hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 if nothing else, I want to uh, give a great shout out to that because having seen some of George Lucas's work, I think we can acknowledge that there are some people who are fantastic creators of story but maybe not the best at dialogue so uh, <laughs> recognize i think that's fantastic and i i i will say just as a um uh just just to give a plug to it i, I read most of him porter i think it's a fantastic story um and something definitely i think our listeners would really enjoy oh. checking out um well thank you well and, and one thing i mean i do love that it's got this uh it's very you know sort of film noir as you said but also has a lot of kind of fantasy elements there's a, a talking pigeon who's a one of mm -hmm. Pin's best friends and, and uh, kind of a lot of fairy elements. Talk talk about what, what gave you that idea of wanting to meld um, kind of film noir and fantasy in that regard. Um, well, a lot of that did come from Ethan. Uh, uh -huh. One of the things that I'm very, very lucky with getting to work with him is we um, we were both like, homeschooled kids who spent most time most of our time reading when mm. we should have been doing schoolwork okay <laughs> so that sort of turned out with us reading a lot of the same books uh-huh and so he'll say like well what if we do this obscure reference to this old fantasy novel and i'm like yeah nobody else will get it but i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> oh that's awesome <laughs> yeah so um yeah, since we are both always very into fantasy, very into Irish mythology, I lived in Ireland briefly and studied a lot of their literature and history, so it's very dear and near to me. Um, and because of that, we both really wanted to incorporate it um, into our story. Right. And yeah, and we both have also seen 
a lot of the same movies we both love uh-huh. old black and white film noir and screwball comedies so incorporating that as well was really fun <laughs> that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense yeah well and, and so uh, let's talk about for you as, as someone who creates stories i know you really care about uh you know a lot of the same issues that we talk about on this podcast in terms of you know the ethics of of power and issues of you know gender mm-hmm. and race and things like that and different ideas about right and wrong and, and how heroes or, or villains work in the world um, mm-hmm. why, why, why is that important in terms of like when we talk about like as someone who creates a story, you know, why, why, why is it important to sort of think about those issues as you're creating a story? Do you think? Um, well, I think that people learn a lot from stories. That sounds very vague. They learn a lot from stories, but <laughs> they develop a lot of their worldview and their ethics from stories and um and it it, there have been a couple of studies done to say that reading really improves empathy and Mm -hmm. i think that also can be applied to any form of storytelling um that it forces you to put yourself in the place of someone who doesn't necessarily think like you or have the same background as you and so you can really broaden your world view in that way mm-hmm. uh, no i think I, I think that's a great point i think especially in terms of you know when i think of a lot of the sort of ethical ideas that i hold dear you know a lot of them have their core in in the the, the stories that i held dear as a kid you know most of my ideas yeah. about like vengeance and anger and fear you know come from star wars and a lot of the Mm -hmm. the lessons that i first learned about you know learning to empathize with people who are different than me came from star trek and talking to my mother about that um Mm -hmm. you know i i think there's a great idea there of that the the stories matter both because they're entertaining and a great story but also because you know the kind of significance that we can we can we, we can find in them yeah yeah i'd agree and yeah definitely the stories that I grew up with as a kid also really informed my worldview. Um, I was completely obsessed with the Lord of the Rings as a kid. And oh, yeah. That, the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that um, really informed my current views on path, pacifism and doing the right thing um, because I think that that's something that's very strong to that story, especially with Frodo, who really doesn't want to do, he doesn't want to take the ring to more. Right. He always is trying to sit off on someone else, but eventually he realizes, well, I have no choice. I, I, and I, I, Oh, go ahead. Go. Oh, I was just going to say, and yeah. the other thing about the Lord of the Rings is how it, shows how war affects everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really disappointing to me that this didn't make it into the movie, but in the books at the end, there's the scouring of the Shire. Uh-huh. Um, are you familiar with that? I, I am, and I'll actually say the extended version of the Lord of the Rings does include that. Um, and I, but because I had the oh, same, really? I had, yeah, I had the same feeling you did that I wished it had been a little bit more in the movie because I think it is such an interesting, you know, to me. I, I, I know a lot about uh, Tolkien's history as someone who went to World War II. Um, right. Uh, and I, I, to me, one of the things I always loved about the book is this idea of like, you know, these guys go on this wonderful quest and part of it is that they come back and, and they, they can't really go back to the Shire that they left because the war has changed them and the war has changed the Shire. Um, and you're right. I, I, I think it's a little too bad, although there was so much in it already, that that mm-hmm. wasn't in the in the original version of the movies but it is an extended cut um and it's 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 a little the way it's sort of in feels a little shoehorned from kind of a movie making perspective but it is a mm-hmm. is a good representation of that idea yeah yeah um and, and i love what you were saying about uh frodo because i think that that's um we do so often see the sort of the 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 hero especially a male hero who is very like you know I will do this I will you know lend my and, and there mm-hmm. some of the other characters in that in that story you know I will lend my sword I will lend my axe etc right um and I love that Frodo is the opposite of that that he's very much the reluctant hero you know who who sort of gets he feels he has to do it but for him it's not about ego it's not about honor it's not about 
I must use my sword for this great purpose. Right. Um, and we have been trying to, to bring it back to pin. We have been trying to show a bit of that reluctant heroism with the character development of one of the characters, Riley. Mm. Um, so yeah, talk- not to give too, not to give too many spoilers away. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> um, Riley starts out as a missing person that she, he's a classmate of pins and he, one day snaps runs out into the middle of a field and disappears and his sister sees this and she goes to pin and says hey can you find my brother um and she finds him and she saves him but in the process she gets very sick uh-huh. and this is all the first story arc um we're about we're just began ugh, we just <laughs> began the second story arc in which it starts out with pin being very sick and Spencer who's her fancy talking pigeon friend uh goes to Riley and says hey she saved your life you have to help her right and Riley says no way I'm not doing that and Spencer says oh no no you're coming with me and drags him off on this quest to help him and Riley really starts out as a not great, not very moral character, and through that like moral obligation to help Pin, he starts to become a much more selfless hero. Nice. And sort of that's his journey towards becoming an adult, is realizing that he has to do this. He has right. to uh, step up. I like that. Well, and, and so, as you said, I think that that's that's a great example of kind of the meat of what we want to talk about, about how do you, you know, how, how do you kind of as an author find that balance between, um, you know, a story that has some important messages and ideas that you want people to kind of walk away from it with without getting in the way of, of the story itself. Um, and before I kind of jump into um, your own process, um, we'd love to talk more about kind of what, what do you think makes a, like – what, what do you what do you think it you know is important in finding that balance like like in terms of uh how it can go too far one way or the other um well i think that it's really really difficult especially when you feel very passionate passionately about something uh-huh. it's very difficult to dial that back and not want to just sort of get, metaphorically sorry go ahead <laughs> uh, get, get, get up on the soapbox kind of thing yeah metaphorically punch your reader in the face with it with your message <laughs> um and i think that something that does that really unsuccessfully is the show supergirl yeah um which i know you have some feelings about <laughs> as well <laughs> where um I haven't finished watching Supergirl, so I don't know. Maybe it's gotten better, but the problem I had with it was they have the story and then they have the message, and it kind of feels like the characters stop in the story and say, okay, this is the scene where we're telling the message. Uh-huh. And it's it's not quite after-school special, <laughs> as, but it sort of feels like it's heading in that direction. <laughs> I, I, I definitely would agree with that. I mean, I, um, I, I will say I, I've now seen most of the second or as much of the second season has been released. And, um, at the time of this recording, so just after the invasion storyline, um, and I think it gets somewhat better, especially in terms of there's, there's now a whole, uh, big spoilers for Supergirl, but there's a whole plot line with a character realizing that they're gay. And, um, I think that they've done that in a fairly, fairly well, good manner, my English there just got terrible, but they, they've done a fairly good job of telling that story um, with a little more subtlety. But I think certainly in the first season. Um, uh, but yeah, when, actually, uh, uh, um, just just kind of go deeper on that. What what do you think are some examples of that? Where you like scenes where where you saw that 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 problem in Supergirl? Because I know I can certainly think of some, but I'm curious what <laughs> what, what grabbed you. Well, I'm thinking specifically of. There's one episode where Kara is trying to do like 10 things at once and balance her job and 
being Supergirl and uh, working for, um, I'm blanking on the name, the Secret Defense Association. Uh, DEO. DEO, yeah, thank you. And at some point she asks her boss, how do you do it all? And it's so, like, it feels like it was taken straight from a feminist article about women having it all. Right. Um, what, what do you, do you have some examples as I, well that, that, that episode was definitely a good example for me. I think, um, you, you know, there's a scene in, I think the first episode where, um, there's a conversation between those same two characters, Kara and, and Kat, uh, Kara mm-hmm. and Kat, uh, about, um, you know, if Supergirl is a empowering name or not. And mm-hmm. the, the debate right. they have, it just, I mean, I, because I think because here's the thing is to me the issues that Supergirl is bringing up are important issues and it's not that I disagree with it it's that you know in that scene it just feels like there may have been a debate in the writers room about do they want to update the the character's name and it felt like that exact debate was what the characters were saying you know it just didn't feel like the dialogue didn't it, it felt like it broke the story uh, and 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 took me as a as a audience member out of just enjoying the story, and now I was getting to hear the the audience member the 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 writer's political opinions. Um, yeah, exactly. I feel like it was very clumsy writer writing on the creator's part. But yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> I agree with that definitely. Well, um, and and I wonder uh, is there kind of a um. Is it fair to say that part of what we're sort of going for with these stories is that we we want to to, to I, I would say this I'm curious if you'd agree I feel like I want to walk away from a story feeling like I may have gotten some kind of a message or a lesson but I don't want to realize that I'm getting it while I'm getting it does that make sense I mean because it, it's that it it feels like with something like Supergirl it was just so unsubtle you know and it was so over as you said punching them in the face whereas Mm-hmm. As you said, with something like Lord of the Rings, you can watch it and you don't sort of feel like, okay, now Tolkien's telling me his message about war. You feel like Tolkien's telling me a great story. And in that story, you're learning some important things about war. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think part of that is there's classic writing tip. Um, you should show your readers, not tell them. And I feel like Tolkien is showing us the you know how devastating war is through the characters experiences and actions whereas supergirl is telling us right what they think so <laughs> and oh go ahead uh no i was just gonna say um i don't like being told the message i like being shown the message i think that's a lot more successful mm-hmm. do, do you think that there's an element because when you're shown it that um you're also able to sort of interpret it in different ways, like that. That um, I, I guess maybe a better way to say it is: Do, do you do you think that, that that it's important for there if there is a message for it to be fairly clear, or or do you like when there is more of a chance to kind of walk away with with different interpretations or different like for two people to watch the same thing and and have different ideas coming out of it? Um, I think that there can be value in both. I love the ambiguity of um of, you know, people being able to walk away with it with different interpretations. But there are also, I think, successful stories where there is one quote-unquote right message. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but I, I think a good example of a story that has some of that ambiguity would be Princess Mononoke, where there isn't necessarily a right or a wrong. You can see and understand both sides of that issue. Yeah, Can, can you tell us more about that one? Because I, I'll admit I have not seen uh, uh, that story, so I'd love to hear more about it. But I know you'd mentioned it as one you really wanted to, to um, highlight as a good example. Oh, you haven't seen it I, at all? I have not, no, sadly. <laughs> Okay, um, Princess Mononoke is an anime about, uh, how do I explain this? <laughs> um, it's about a 
girl who was raised in the wild. She was literally raised by wolves and she is connected to the forest and she can like, there is this personification of the forest spirit and she's, you know, she communes with it and such. Then there is the town that I think it's actually called something like Iron Town. So it's very obvious what they're going for there. Um, and it wants to cut down the forest and destroy it so it can build more. And it that's the very basic story. Uh-huh. Um, it um, the town is also a refuge for social outcasts. It was, um, you know, it takes in former brothel workers it takes in lepers they um so there's a lot of positive representations of disability there because they're giving these opportunities Uh for the social outcasts to contribute Mm -hmm. um in a really you know from the town's perspective a really productive way but not from the forest perspective because the forest is being destroyed and the spirit of it is literally being killed. Um, And so I think that that's a good example of where you can see that nobody really wins in this situation because if you destroy the town, you're destroying a lot of people's homes and livelihood but if you're dis- if you destroy the forest then you are destroying the spirit of the forest you're destroying the home of the animals you're destroying princess mononoke's home oh wow so, yeah oh sorry i wasn't trying to interrupt so, i was just agreeing with you not trying to interrupt you. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no um so That, to me, I mean, I am very much on the side of the forest Mm -hmm. because I'm very much an environmentalist. I care more about the trees and people. (laughs) That sounds terrible to say, but... (laughs) I can understand where you're coming from. Yeah, but I can also see how the town has a really good point as well, and the town provides something for people who might otherwise be living in a lot of suffering. Right. And so that duality there is really interesting to me. Well, and, and, and I like that because I, I, I've talked about some of the other things that I love as th- there's a real power when a story can make you walk away, not just saying like, okay, I've learned a lesson. I, I'm done there. But um, that that there's a real um, that there it leaves you with a real question that you're not sure of, and that you can sort of walk out. Like I can imagine some really interesting conversations after people watch Princess Mononoke, like debating that. You know, if different people see it a little differently, and I I often think one of the best ways of people learning is by getting them to ask hard questions, even if you're not giving them the answer. Um, yeah, I think you know there is the saying if you have all the answers you've been asking the wrong questions um and (laughs) um and and this sort of reminds me of civil war which i know you've talked about quite Mm -hmm. a bit before and i think we've talked about it before um and the um the conflict between tony stark and captain america and um that's another thing where you know people have gotten very d- divisive about it. Your team Sto- Tony or your team Cap, and that's brought up some really interesting discussions. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I I I was thinking about Civil War as you were talking about Princess Mononoke because mm-hmm. I think it's it t- to me and and this podcast and this blog really was kind of born out of the conversations that Paul and I were having about um civil war because I am somewhat controversially very much team tony and he's very much team cap um mm-hmm. but but more than anything I feel like what what I really loved about that movie especially compared to I don't know if you saw but um Batman versus Superman is I feel like they're not. okay well they're 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 both I think taking on this central question of 
how do people react to the idea that there are people in the world with incredible power who are claiming to use the power for good and are for the most part using the power for good, but have the potential mm-hmm. to, to either accidentally or on purpose use that power for, for in ways that other people really don't like. How, right. should, how should we as a world react to that? And I feel like Batman versus Superman made it pretty clear that if you think Superman is corrupt or has the potential to be corrupt, you're just wrong and you're dumb or you're Lex Luthor and clearly mm-hmm. you shouldn't be worried about it. Whereas Civil War really made it much more of an open question um, in a way that I really, really loved. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. I, think, I, I love what you're saying about how, how important that is to storytelling. Um, yeah, yeah. And this makes me think of um, Marvel just did Civil War Two as their latest comic event, which uh-huh. um, to give a brief sum up, it's Tony Stark versus Carol Danvers, who is Captain Marvel. Um, there is an inhuman who can predict the future, specifically future catastrophes, like he predicts Thanos coming and destroying the Earth. And Captain Marvel is saying, well, we should use this power to prevent crime. And Tony is, say- and Tony is saying after... Um, you know, she's tried to prevent crime and some very big name characters get really seriously hurt. He's saying, well, he's only predicting one timeline. And by, you know, he's making a big assumption about how time works here. But um, if we accept that assumption, um, you as soon as you take action you're changing that timeline and would that have ha- would that damage have happened if you had just done nothing right um, and what i find most interesting about civil war 2 is it ties in some of the younger characters specifically mm. ms marvel who is a character i totally love um ms marvel kamala khan is a 16-year-old Pakistani American. Right. And she is like, you know, she takes her name from Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel is her hero. And she starts out being on Captain Marvel's side and being a part of her, like, preemptive action team. But she starts enforcing some of these laws and she begins to realize the parallels between what they're doing and racial profiling, which is something that's very relevant to her non-superhero life. And so she starts having this conflict of morals and doesn't really know where to turn. I Mm -hmm. think um, because she also, Tony Stark, uh, because uh, Ms. Marvel joins the Avengers, Tony Stark is a huge role model for her and she says at one point it feels like my superhero parents are getting divorced because <laughs> they're both fighting and right. <laughs> stuck in the middle um well and that i, I just want to jump in there that yeah. I, that to me that line is so powerful because not only is now are we talking about like these superhero issues but but for anyone who's gone through i mean like i i remember when my parents got divorced and it was awful mm-hmm. watching them fight and just mm-hmm. to me that one line is such a brilliant way of <laughs> you know connecting cuz now we're not only lifting up superhero stories now we're also you know having a lot of empathy for people who've gone through being a kid have your parents get divorced you know and so yeah, yeah just that that one line just such a great thing yeah but. that that I, I have not had the experience of having my parents go through a divorce, but that line definitely stood out to me. Like, wow. Oh, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And another, this was post civil war. So not so much of a tie in, but another comic I read is moon girl and devil dinosaur, which I highly, highly recommend. Um, it's wonderful. It's about Lunella who is a 10-year-old black girl, and she is debatably the smartest person in the world. Uh And nobody listens to her. Nobody believes her because she's a 10-year-old. And eventually she gets recruited by the Hulk to do some superheroing stuff. And they do the classic catch the bad guy and smash things up. And she says, well, after they catch the bad guy, well, wait, aren't we staying to clean this up? And the Hulk says, 
well, no, why would we do that? And so I love how it's this younger generation of superheroes starting to question the older generation who are just kind of saying, well, this is just how it's always done. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, well, especially because I, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has talked about this a little bit, but, you know, we never really, and, and Batman vs. Superman covers it a bit, but we never really talk about, mm-hmm. like, okay, these superheroes just saved the world and did massive amounts of property damage and left dead bodies everywhere. Who's dealing with that? So I kind of love that. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's a huge part of, of Tony's uh, story arc in Civil War because right, he, right. you know, he has that realization we saved the world, but we did so much damage as well. Is that really okay? Well, and, so. and, and one thing you talk about there that I, I really want to get into, because I think it's a, it's a great part of this discussion of how we use stories to talk about issues or, or ethics or however <laughs> you want to define it, um, is, is um, when, when, when we bring in kids into the story, or also when we're, we're intentionally somewhat writing um, either for kids or in a way that is kid-friendly. Because I, I think the, the general perception is often, oh, that's a kid's show, so it's not going to get into mm-hmm. hard issues. Or it's a kid's show, and therefore it's not going to have the subtlety that a more adult work would have. Uh, and mm-hmm. here I'm really sad Paul isn't with us because I know this is something he really cares about. Um, but would love to hear you, you talk a little more about because I, I know, as you've said, you know, you've mentioned a couple of um, – non-adult heroes and, and Pin Porter, mm-hmm. the one you write about is 12 years old. Um, talk a bit about why why for you writing uh, child characters, but also writing in a way that kids can really appreciate uh, wh- why that's important to you and how it kind of ties into the stuff about um, you know using your stories to, to have ideas and messages. Okay. Um, well, for starters, I think that the idea that just because it's a kid's show or just because it's an all ages comic or movie or whatever, it's not complex is ridiculous. Yep. I mean, there are shows in media like that, but um, just that, that because it's a kid's show, it automatically is watered down is really doesn't give kids as much credit as they deserve. Uh-huh. Um, and sorry, I had to think for, for a second and collect my thoughts. <laughs> um, I think that kids have a much more defined sense of justice than adults. Mm-hmm. They have a very clear black and for better or for worse, they have a very clear black and white perception of what is right and what is wrong even on a micro level like you will talk to kids and they'll say things like well that kid took my toy and that's not okay and that's not fair and they don't care that life isn't fair it has to be because that's right and that that's right and that kid is wrong so um and i think that that's really interesting um i look at media like calvin and hobbes i see this a lot Mm -hmm. and i love calvin and hobbes i'm a big big fan i have been for as long as i can remember but he occasionally will get into issues like environmental issues and uh one is Uh, One of my favorite comics is he is walking through the woods with Hobbes and he sees a tree cut down and he says, I think the surest sign of that there's intelligent life elsewhere is that none of it has tried to contact us. (laughs) And I just I love that line Uh because he doesn't really care about the you know, why that tree was cut down. He doesn't care if it was diseased or if they're clearing it to build houses for people. He just sees it as that tree was alive. That tree was doing something good and wonderful. And now it's God. And it's a little piece of my world that's destroyed. Um, And I think that there's some value in that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I think adults can learn a lot from that. I, much as I love moral ambiguity and those questions of right or, or wrong, 
I think that sometimes adults can get really, really caught up in that ambiguity to the point where they don't think about who is hurting from this, who is right or who is wrong. And kids will look at something, kids will look at, you know, rainforests being destroyed and say, that's wrong. Why are people doing that? We should stop doing that. And they don't really care about the complexities. They just see something that's wrong and they want to stop it. I, I think that's brilliant. I think the the example you mentioned about the Hulk and and and, and, and what, I'm sorry, remind me what was the the child hero who was saying that to the Hulk about the the destruction? Um, Moon Girl. Moon Girl. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. be, because you're right. I think we as adults, and I know I certainly can do this. You you get into ways of thinking about, or many of us can. Uh, I know my if Paul were here, he would say, "No, not me." Um, but <laughs> but many of us can get into ways of thinking of. Well, you just kind of take things for granted, you know, and if I was a hero, I think I would sort of take for granted like, okay, well, I defeated the bad guy and smashed a whole bunch of buildings. Oh, well, time to go and have falafel. Um, yeah. You know? and, and, and it sometimes takes that, that, that other voice that sometimes is younger that, that sort of speaks up and says, no, wait a minute. Like you're, there are things you're taking for granted. Um, and I think certainly that's true. Um, like I'm a big student of the civil rights movement and mm-hmm. uh, one of the things the um, – we speak a lot about the the incredible work that Martin Luther King did and, and also that Malcolm X did and, and how important that was. But a really mm-hmm. important part of the story that often doesn't get talked about um, is the, the dialogue that was happening between kind of the the older movement leaders like Martin Luther King and, 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 and in a different part mm-hmm. of the movement, Malcolm X and people like that. And then people like the, um, the SNCC, the Student Nonviolent uh, Coordinating Committee, because they were mm-hmm. coming from it as – Granted, not as um, kids necessarily, but as college students. But they mm-hmm. had very different ideas about like what was okay, and, and there was a constant tension between the two of the the younger people, you know, constantly wanting to push harder and to say, no, wait a minute, like we don't have to be okay with the things you think we should be okay with. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think if you if stories can help to to bring that out, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. <laughs> uh, on the other side, so what is it? I know. You're very intentionally writing a story that you say that kids want to, that that you want kids to be able to read and enjoy, um, and I loved what it, what what you were saying before about um, how, how you think of a story being too difficult for kids and adults, and I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a big one. Yeah. What, what was, um, go ahead. What was that saying that you said you had about if a story is too difficult for adults? Oh. Yeah, um, Madeline Langos says if you're if you're writing a book and the book is too difficult for grownups, then you write it for children. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, because I think also part of this is children are by default more open-minded than adults for mm-hmm. the most part. Um, you know, we're not, I'm not going to deal in absolutes here, but for the most part. Kids are a lot more willing to look at all sides of the issue, whereas adults have a a somewhat more like, I'm not going to, this person disagrees with me, so I'm not going to listen to them. Right. And so you can introduce complexity to kids and they will listen to you, Mm. whereas with adults, it's often a lot more difficult to get through to them. Right. Just because I think there's a lot of times where, to me, there's an idea that if it gets introduced, it it will automatically carry all of these other ideas with it, you know? Um, And and that can be good or bad, but but I I do think there could be some value in having a story that that you you can just introduce a new idea without it necessarily, it has to be a reference to these eight other things that many adults already know about. Right. So, so with with Pin Porter specifically, how has that come up for you in terms of like creating a story that you want to be enjoyable for all ages? Well, Pin Porter, I mean, I didn't start out wanting some sort of message in it, uh-huh. and I still, I mean, I think there are some messages that come through just because I don't think I could create something that doesn't have some sort of message. But <laughs> ultimately, we just wanted to tell a good story. Right. Um, and there's a lot of, obviously, good versus evil in it. Um, I 
I think that Pin's alignment is lawful good. And so she does things because they're the right thing to do. And often that does damage to herself. Mm. Um, and But she still does them because she sees a problem and she wants to fix it. Right. And so, um, but also that does cause damage to herself and I'm not looking to solve that problem necessarily, but I want to leave that as a question of, do you do the right thing or do you protect yourself? Mm -hmm. And and I think that's a, I mean, that's a super important question for, for anyone to be asking. You know, I I know Mm -hmm. a a lot of my friends who are activists, either professionally or, or, or just as part of their personal life, that's something we're constantly thinking about is, you know, especially at a time when it think it seems like there's so much to do and so many fights to have, like how how finding that balance of self care versus the need to just constantly you know make one more Facebook post or go to one more rally or or do one more thing, right? You know, um, it it can be really easy to push yourself towards burnout. So I, I think having a character who really explores like what what can be the dangers of constantly feeling like you have to do the right thing even if it sacrifices yourself. Um, that, that 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 that's a powerful story you're telling. Right, right. Um, yeah, and I guess she, you know, she does get sick. She does burn herself out, and she ends up having to rely on her friends, and they have to take up the mantle and do the right thing, even though they might not necessarily want to. Uh, Spencer. Maybe it's a little bit more like this is the right thing to do, but also he kind of owes Pin because she also saved his life. So there's there's a lot of like debt repayment going mm. on in this story. I can see that. I can see yeah. that. Which, which has got to be interesting both both from the like – there's just sort of a, a morality about like, well, I owe him. I have to do this, you know. But also in in the fae world, in the fairy world, which I know a lot of your story touches on, like that idea of debt is so important. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a huge part of the fairy world is debt and exchange. Um, And that's writing the fairies, you know, they are very unpredictable in a lot of ways and very selfish um but their their motivation is always what can i get out of this for me mm-hmm. um i like the king and queen of fairy that they hate each other they're loosely based off of oberon and titania who okay. if you've read shakespeare you know they yep. argue a lot they hate each other, but the thing that they have in common is that they're both very selfish, and so they will they will go to great lengths to get something that they think will benefit them. And on the flip side, you have these human characters that will not do that so much. But, you know, they also, to work with the fairies, in a lot of ways, they have to play by their rules. Well, and then it, it seems like a great thing to explore because, um, you know, as you're talking about the idea, to me, part of what this gets into is that morality, we often think of as following a set of rules. And mm-hmm. it's very easy to start thinking of that, that 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 is a purely objective thing, like that there are just the rules of right and wrong. And it sounds like part of what your story is getting at is that you might have two characters who are each by their own definition, you know, to, to use D&D terms, lawful good. You know, they're each mm-hmm. following their understanding of what the rules of morality are. But because they come from very different cultures, that those rules are, are, are very different and so can seem deeply mm-hmm. immoral to the other. Right. Yeah. And because this sort of goes back to writing for children, children often have this very black and white idea of right and wrong and pin has that idea in a lot of ways Uh this is and so trying to force her to address moral ambiguity and 
well, I might have to do the wrong thing for the right reasons, right. if that's such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, and certainly it seems like, um, especially in the detective noir, you know, I mean, certainly those, you often have characters who are, by, by the very nature of it, facing challenges where the law and the sort of established government morality and their personal morality are really coming into conflict. Um, I think it's often some of the things I like most about those stories. And so it sounds, this, it seems like a great genre for you to be exploring with the story. Oh yeah, definitely. I think detectives, detective noir has that in common with superheroes because a lot of superheroes are also considered vigilantes because they, they realize that the law isn't necessarily the best way to do the good thing. And detectives private eyes in these stories are often at odds against the law because they have their own way of try and their own idea of how to do the right thing. Oh yeah. I mean, I, both Paul and I, I, I have often talked, our first episodes actually were about Batman and mm -hmm. about how Batman is certainly my favorite hero. And I think, I think he would say one of his and, um, uh, one of the things that I, I've, uh, I've talked about, and I think he, he is as well is this idea of in a lot of ways, Batman to me is, um, it, it, the best Batman stories are detective stories where, where he has, he might have some great toys and some great technology. And that's where it sort of gets into the, the super superhero ness of him. Oh, there's not powers himself, but like really at heart, Batman is a detective noir story. You know, it, it's about mm -hmm. like, you know, the guy working outside the law for justice, you know, and it's about the conflict of law and justice and what happens when you have to break the law to do justice. And, so yeah, I, mm -hmm. I, I think there's some great storytelling to be had there that it sounds like you're really exploring with Pin. Yeah, and what's fun is, like with Batman, he's not necessarily a likable character. He is the Dark Knight, um, and a lot of detective noir characters, they're not very likable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Sam Spade is not necessarily <laughs> a guy that you would want to hang out with. And even even to go more modern, I consider Jessica Jones to be pretty noir. She's not necessarily that great of a person either. Oh no, this is true. Yeah. So, but they, you know, they're not necessarily people you'd want to be BFFs with. But they do have this sense of right and wrong that they always come back to. Right. Well, no, I think that that that's a, that that's such an important point, especially with. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned Jessica Jones because I, I think of her as such a. She's an incredibly relatable character, obviously for, for some of the stuff she's gone through and just who she is. Um, and I think for a lot of people, she might be you know a great friend that they'd really love to get along with. Um, but is also, mm -hmm. but she's not, she's not nice, you know, in that kind of way. Um, and and so is is Pin? Do you think? Do you think is Pin a kind of like? Would everyone want to be best friends with Pin? Um, I mean, Pin is kind of an outsider. Her, you know, she has a talking pigeon friend. That's pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's, that's sort of intentional. We, we wanted to make Pin be the weird kid who is sort of brilliant, but is set apart from the rest of the world because, she can't necessarily relate to them or she doesn't want to. Right. Um, and she would be very loyal, but she just – people don't necessarily like her. <laughs> right. Well, and, and one thing you said earlier that I, I want to kind of jump on because it, it gets, I think, to the uh, a core of this. And I know something um, – uh, uh, that I really wanted to make sure we get into is you said that in a lot of ways you you start by telling a story. You don't start by having a message. Um, and I, um, Paul, when I was asking him um, sort of what questions he would ask if he was able to, to join us here, he'd said mm – -hmm. I'll just quote what he wrote. <clears throat> um, My contention is that you're trying to use stories to – is it uh, kind of what, 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 uh, what a writer could do? Is that, it, that mm -hmm. it, oh, sorry. He said, my contention is that if you're trying to use stories to talk about issues – the story must come first because it's very hard for people to hear you on the issues if your story doesn't work. Um, and it's, 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 and he wanted to ask sort of for both of us if we kind of agree or disagree or, or where, where we'd come down on it. And it sounds like you're coming from a kind of similar place, right? That for you with Pin, you, 
it has issues in it because those are things dear to your heart. But but at heart, you really just wanted to tell a good story. Yeah, I would agree with that because um, going back to what we were talking about with Supergirl and Lord of the Rings, you're you don't want to come away from something feeling like you've been told a moral message. Right. Um, and I think that if you are telling an appealing story, you are going to reach a much wider audience than if you're just trying to hit home a moral message. Right. Um, yeah. Do you agree with that? Yeah, no, I, I think I think we're all on the same page there because I think that as, as we were talking about with Supergirl, like some of the worst stories can be when, um, you know, it, it just feels like it's the ABC after school special idea. You know, if you turn on a show <laughs> and it's very clearly like the point of this show is to show you how bad drugs are, then, then mm-hmm. you're not probably going to get that message because it's just hitting, you know, as you said, you're being punched in the face with it. Um, yeah. Um, and I, I, I love what you said about that, that. Um, when when you start out just wanting to tell a story, because because these things matter to you as a person, they're going to come out in the story. Um, yeah, and like Calvin and Hobbes again, I don't think that Bill Watterson started out wanting to tell a, tell this moral message. I think he just wanted to create this character and play around with it and he was able to give people tell people this story and give them access to these ideas because he had built up this really beloved character not necessarily lovable but beloved <laughs> um, <laughs> and i think Calvin's was pretty lovable but i maybe not by his parents <laughs> some ways <laughs> um and he was able to do that because people were invested in the story and they were going to listen to him because they loved the story. Right. I mean, I think that that is often kind of one of the most important things is that that need to to get your audience's attention first and to, to establish that, that this is someone who you want to care about, you know, like. Right. I, I as a young child, I found Yoda to have these incredible messages that were. Um, you know, ones that I really, you know, can still quote 30 years later in terms of messages mm-hmm. about morality and, and, you know, what what anger and fear will do to you. But the fact that he was cute and green and, and spoke in this funny way that I loved, that was a big mm-hmm. part of why I wanted to listen to him, you know. And if it had just been like some guy just standing up and telling Luke in a boring voice, here's the message about morality, it probably doesn't stick with me as much. Yeah, yeah. And – I think that a lot of my favorite stories are ones that have a lot of layers to them. So it isn't a very obvious moral message um, because like you grew up with Yoda and you loved him because he was funny and had a funny voice and stuff. And then he also had these messages. Um, I, growing up with Lord of the Rings, I didn't think, oh, this is a metaphor for war. I thought, oh, this is a cool story about people going to fight this war and save the world. And I grew up, you know, as I got older and read it over, I picked up a lot more messages that were there when I was a kid, but I didn't necessarily process them. Right. And so when I came back to them, because I cared about the story, I was willing to actually pick out those messages more. Oh, that makes and sense. And realize, yeah, uh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was saying that. That makes totally a lot of sense. Um, just kind of agreeing with you again. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and so with, with Pin, um, and I, I know we were almost an hour, so I want to wrap up pretty soon, but um, going back just a bit to the um, – or, or, or kind of two questions I want to ask. The first is um, do you have ha- – have there been times where there was a story arc or a story idea that either you or Ethan had that, that you did kind of back away from because you thought, you know, or maybe we're sort of pushing the politics of this a little bit too much or we're, we're – we're, how, how has this kind of impacted the, 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 the process of, of creating Pin? 
Well, I don't think that we've ever really necessarily had a political message with it or tried to talk about a political message because we have very different political leanings. So I don't think we'd be able to agree on a political message. Oh, well, that, yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, so that wasn't really a thing that was relevant to us. Um, the story arc with Riley came about because Ethan said, I really like stories that have this journey towards being a man or being an adult. And I was a little hesitant, like, how can we do this without it being really corny? Right. Uh, and we're still working through that story arc, so we'll see. But <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good, I guess. Well, and, and that kind of gets to the, the stuff you were saying before about writing for kids, is I often think that there's there's an assumption that if you write for kids, it has to be corny. You know, it has to be. And, and it, I think, turns off adults and kids a lot. And I, I, I love that it's um, that you're going away from that. Um, and, and kind of related to that, I wanted to ask, are, are there, cause I think one of the first things people will say is, oh, this shouldn't be for children cause it has topics of sexuality or it has topics of death or like, you know, there are that if, if, if a, a media is for kids, then there are topics then we should be hiding for kids from. And I'm kind of wondering like how, how you think about that in terms of like, what, what is the subject matter that, that, that's appropriate for pin pin to get into? Well, I don't. Kids don't just not ex have experiences that have to do with, uh, you know, death or sexuality. Even right. you know, kids. You know, if you, if you've been around kids, you've probably heard the, well, how does a baby get made? <laughs> question. Uh -huh. <laughs> and also, you know, kids do experience death. They'll have family members die or. They'll have a pet die, and that's not something that is just irrelevant to their life. And right. I don't think – I think representation of that is very important in kids' media because if – like if you are going through, say, a death – the death of a family member or a pet – when you're a kid, this is really intense and it's really confusing and it can be a source of comfort and a way for you to deal with things, I think, um, when you can see someone else in a book or a movie going through the same thing. To be sure. Well, and that, that gets to that point you were talking about a long time ago uh, at the beginning of the podcast about, you know, the related – both the ability to relate to someone who reminds you of yourself but also to to see someone who is different and to have that experience. And I think I think you're right. I, 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 I asked because I figured we're pretty much on the same page there. Mm -hmm. To me, it, it's really problematic when people think like ch – this idea of childhood innocence and ch children therefore needing to be kind of sheltered from the, the deeper mm -hmm. questions – um, you know, I think the more that stories like this can can introduce kids to topics that are going to be part of their lives in ways that adults might not want, but but that certainly are, you know, that's a much better mm -hmm. thing and, and, and helps helps people of all ages. Um, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, and I'm really happy to be seeing more and more of that in children's uh and all ages work um one thing that i did want to bring up was the comic lumberjanes which is a great kids comic one of have you heard of it i i haven't no go ahead um great comic probably one of the best comics out there right now definitely the best all ages comic um it's about a Girl Scout camp essentially in the middle of the woods and there's yetis and mermaids and other monsters in the woods and all these weird things keep happening. And a lot of the comic is just like a weird fun fantasy story. Um, but one of the girls is trans and 
you don't find out about this until like issue 17 or 18, I think. So well into the story. Oh, wow. And it's dealt with in a way that I really loved. It's not, she doesn't just come out and say, I'm trans. Um, What happens is there's another character who is from the Boy Scout troop across the lake or whatever, and he's trying to get in with the Lumberjanes, and he wants to help them on their adventures, and she feels very threatened by his presence. Uh She's like, thinks, well, this is for girls only. And he then he has a conversation with her where he says, I just don't feel like I belong with the Boy Scout troop. And she says... Yeah, when I was in the Boy Scout troop, I never felt like I belonged there either. And oh, wow. That's all she says, and that's how it's addressed. And you can infer from that. And, uh-huh. you know, I read an interview with the creators of Lumberjanes where they talked about how they had some really, really long conversations about how they wanted to address this girl's uh, being trans and how they wanted kids to be able to see that positive representation. And I think waiting until later on when you've already seen that this character is definitely a hero and she's smart, she's funny, she has great friends, she's a very positive person. And then you find out that she's trans and that doesn't hopefully... Hopefully the message you get from that is that it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't change that she's this amazing person and that's not the only part of her identity. Yeah, I mean that seems such a wonderful way to do it, but for for what you're talking about and and the um the um the, the focus on so many other parts of her, but also the the real normalizing it of making it not a you know the the scene where she has to sit down with all of her friends and tell her this big secret um, but it's just just a right. casual reference to oh yeah you know some girls have been in the Girl Scouts all their life some girls were once Boy Scouts and are now girls you know and like that's that to me seems such a great way of just approaching it as um, something I was thinking before but didn't get a chance to reference like one of the things I think that often I think is fantastic about the way um, kids can approach things is because you're right they have very strict ideas often about what what normal is or what right and wrong is. Mm-hmm. But they're also very affected by, like, if they experience something that most adults would think is completely weird, but they experience it and learn that it's normal, then it's just normal for them. And so it's very easy to be like, oh, sure, you know, this person used to be Jim, but now they're Jane, and that's totally okay, you know? And, like, what? Mm -hmm. why why isn't that normal? Um, And that's such a great way for adults to sort of see that and be like, why in the world do we make such a big deal about the fact that, you know, of, of someone being transgender or something like that? So, yeah, that seems like yeah. a, a great way to do it. Yeah. And I mean, kids get that very strong sense of right and wrong from what they are taught by the media created for them and what adults tell them. And so if you have a story telling them it's not a big deal that your friend used to be Jim and now is Jane, they're going to that's going to be integrated into their uh, ideas about morality and what's okay and isn't okay right um again going back to how kids are often more open-minded about things than mm-hmm. adults because they're still developing their ideas about the world right and and it also it hits on something that i think is um this is kind of a, a a different issue but but is related and i think is so important in storytelling um, you know, we've talked about the importance of representation and I, 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 I'm a big believer in the idea that like that there's a need to have characters for whom their being part of a marginalized identity is an important, you know, is a really important part of who they are and that we're telling that story. But, you know, like that, that it's also really important to have a character who who isn't a Muslim character. There's a they're a character mm-hmm. who happens to be Muslim, you know, or a, like mm-hmm. a, as you, you know, or this character, like a character who is all of these things, one of which is trans, but that's not the central part of their identity. Um, and I think that's such a, as we think about representation in media, that that's such an important step to be able to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, cool. Well, I, I, we're at about an hour, so I want to kind of say, are there any other last things that you, I know you and I have <laughs> been talking about this topic for a while and we could probably go for four hours or more, but uh, are there yeah. any sort of other last things you wanted to make sure you got to talk about? Um, I think we covered quite a bit. Is there anything that you feel like we've missed? I, I think we've hit, hit it all. I would certainly say, um, for everyone re, uh, listening, uh, I really hope you've enjoyed this. Definitely check out Pin Porter. Um, Rob, you want to talk a little bit more about um, how to find Pin and how to find some of your other work? Um, sure. Um, you can find most of my work through my Twitter, which is our little Miss G. There's a link to Pin Porter on there. Um, I have a few comics on Tapastic, which um, – I'm sure I can give Matthew the link and so yep. you can find it that way. Well, the um, show notes for this will have all of these links there as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Pin Porter, uh, I actually have to, I think it's, yeah, it's pinporterdetective.com. I don't even remember my okay. own URL. Uh, but pinporterdetective.com is. I have it up here. Yeah, it is, it is pinporterdetective.com. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, well, thank you, Robin, again, so much for being a great guest. I think this is, um, We've yeah, kind of gotten into an, uh, 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 yeah, definitely. We've gotten mm-hmm. into a, a new area that we haven't talked about in the podcast before. Um, and to all our listeners, I want to thank you for for being a part of this. Um, as always, please help us continue the conversation. You can tweet at us or find us on Facebook. Both are superhero ethics. Um, talk to us. Let us know sort of what are some examples that you've seen of either great or not so great versions of stories where uh, there's a really great balancing of the message and the story. Um, or if you have other examples you want us to look at of your own stuff that you've created or um, other things you want to point us to, please let us know. Um, you can also now find us on iTunes by searching for the Superhero Ethics Podcast. And actually, I'm happy to announce we just got uh, listed on Stitcher. So if you listen mostly through Stitcher, you can now find us there as well, Superhero Ethics Podcast. Um, so thanks again. Thank you to Robin. Um, thank you to all your listeners. And we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.